Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 48th episode, and I am here after the Australian Grand Prix. Well, guys, um, it was a wild one. Um, but first of all, I have to say I've had uh, quite the week here in my house. Uh, our basement flooded, so actually that affected my setup for video quite heavily. Um, so I moved into this makeshift little spot, but unfortunately I'm going to have to postpone um, video for the podcast for a bit. Um, I guess it kind of works out with, uh, with I guess I should say, the uh, the little mini summer break we're about to have. I know it's not summer at all. I guess spring break. F1's not going to be back for uh, at least a few more weeks. So I think just because of the basement flooding and, and with me not having a, a camera set up at the moment, I think that... I might uh, take one week off in this break. We'll see um, if I if I come across something or there's something definitely big to talk to, uh, talk about. I will uh, definitely record um, a a podcast for that because it'll just be only audio, unfortunately for for the meantime until we get our our basement uh, sorted out. There's just a ton of rain here uh, where I am in Ontario, but anyway. Um, as I'm going to start every episode now with is just a quick reminder, please go to the link tree in the description. It includes links to uh, podcast pages, uh, all the platforms you can find this podcast, my YouTube channel, my Twitter, my TikTok, um, which I have revived as well, all the uh, challenges with the F1 filter. It's always a good time. Uh, the link tree also has my email address. If you'd like to reach out uh, to me about uh, podcast stuff or you know other opportunities, um, I'm willing to collab like I just uh, um, did with the King of the Take guys. That was a lot of fun. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you know, you're know you interested in even being a guest on the podcast, I would definitely listen to you. Um, and yeah, I like to uh, to talk with the fans. So um, that that's a great opportunity to reach me. And also my personal Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn for, yeah, like I said, some other opportunities. So uh, that's, that's my little quick reminder. And again, I apologize for not having video um, under the circumstances, but uh, let's get into what we're here for. Let's review the insane amount of action in Albert Park. All right, as we do the storylines heading into the race, and I must say, guys, the the amount of stuff that happened in this race um, was just insane. And the fact that I have to spend time talking about these storylines going into the race is also just crazy to me. Because I was thinking, as I'm preparing for the podcast, before the race is even, you know, gone gone by, I'm like, oh, you know what, if this is a, you know, kind of a boring race and Red Bull just dominates again. I'll have quite a bit to talk about because of uh, the storylines we have going into the race. But of course, we get an absolute cracking Grand Prix in Australia, and there will be a ton to go through. So buckle up. We have quite an episode of review to go through here. Um, let's start off with just a couple things going into the weekend. Red Bull mentioned they are a little concerned with their reliability and putting the blame on uh, their supplier parts, although. They say they think they solved um, what was going on with the drive shaft, and there was actually a bolt loose. Um, that seems a bit uh, ridiculous for a team um, just kind of firing on all cylinders right now. Um, so I'm guess I'm glad they got that sorted out. I'm, I'm not really sure. I guess reliability for Red Bull could be the only thing that brings everyone even close to them at the moment. But anyway, just thought I would mention that for for those of you who hadn't seen that. Um, so. 
you never know. Maybe reliability will come into play this season for uh, the battle between Verstappen and Perez. Um, Ferrari back in the news, as they are pretty much every week. Italian media just doesn't stop. However, it appears that Ferrari might be abandoning their concept, and we might see the last of those, uh, what do they call them, those uh, bath side pods um, that are just, you know, they're obviously very distinct and one of the only teams on the grid with side pods like those. Um, and, yeah, there's there's talk of those, you know, saying goodbye to them. And uh, Ferrari trying something new, come Baku or Imola. We're expecting a lot of big upgrades at the upcoming races, and uh, Ferrari might be one of the most visible ones. Now, a little bit closer to uh, stuff that was actually going on at the uh, this weekend. Ricardo, back in the paddock. Um, I said in my preview video uh, or podcast, you know, he had that incredible little promo video with Red Bull, and they did a few other things this weekend as well while they were in Australia. Um, but also, he he's done some interviews. You know, he was part of the uh, post-qualifying show as well, and uh, he might be eyeing a comeback. He He's certainly open to it, and I think he's hungry for it, but he was kind of saying the same things as he was last year, where he, you know, just he wanted to come back at a top team, and he's and he's using words like, "Oh, if you're gonna get the best of me, it needs to be like you know in a car that will give him confidence." Well, of course, everyone wants to be uh, at the front of the grid, and I'm not sure that uh, his performances in McLaren really warrant him coming back to a to a top team. We'll see, and I just don't know where the spots will be open. Um, you know, perhaps if if Sainz struggles all season long, maybe there's a spot open at Ferrari. If Lewis Hamilton retires, there'll be a spot open. But are any of those teams really going to go for Daniel Ricciardo? I'm not sure, especially when you know we have young drivers that are very talented in McLaren, as uh, Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri. That team has zero points um, heading into Australia, of course, right? Um, of course. Uh, not giving anything away, but McLaren may have scored their first points of the season this race. However, I'm, I'm more so just saying Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri are, are great drivers, and I think everyone knows that. Um, classic me getting ahead of myself again. But anyway, Ricardo could be eyeing a comeback, and I think we are definitely missing his presence on the grid. Um, and I just hope if he does come back that he is able to perform. So, you know, it, it is weird seeing him on the sidelines, but... Uh, at the end of the day, his performance, uh, it's only 20 drivers on this grid, right? Um, and his performance didn't really earn him a spot in Formula One any longer. But we have, I guess, something very impressing to, to talk about. And that is the format of the race weekend has, has really warned, uh, garnered a lot of discussion, rather. And per many sources... The sprint weekend format might be set for a change. So they're looking at a change to the sprint weekend format, keeping traditional weekends the same. But this also could just be a trial for maybe some possible changes to the traditional weekend. Anyway, getting to it, F1 and the teams each want a qualification for the sprint and the race. Uh, The sprint format at the moment is quali on Friday for the race um, the sprint race, I should say, on Saturday, and then the the results of the sprint, um, you know, are like that sets the grid for the race, and of course, the sprint race still does give out some points. So this is suggesting that qualifying on Friday would determine the starting grid for the main race on Sunday, and then an individual time trial, like a one shot qualifying, would then determine the starting grid for the sprint on Saturday. 
um, and F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali supports a plan in which there are two qualifications on sprint weekends. Thus, the result of the sprint would no longer determine the starting grid for the main race, as I said. Um, and the new format could debut for a test in Baku in just, what is it now, three weeks? So that is pretty interesting. And honestly, the drivers were asked quite a few questions about this. Whether basically, you know, they want to see a new format. And there was a really big divide, I think. I think some drivers were like, yeah, I think uh, having three practices is ridiculous. We don't need all that. Um, and then probably one of the most polarizing drivers on the grid at the moment, Max Verstappen, you know, the reigning two-time world champion, he was like, if we keep switching the format and adding more qualifying and more races to an already growing calendar, I'm going to be gone. Like, I am not going to waste my time in Formula One anymore. And that is a scary thought, you know, changing a format, losing your top talent in the sport. You might need to listen to him a little bit. But anyway, I think for now, just testing it out is is not bad. Um, adding some interesting layers to some weekends. I just, I hope they don't just completely kibosh the, uh, the traditional weekend. I think it works. Um, but I understand, you know, three practices is a lot. There's a lot of times for me, I, I have to wake up really early, obviously in North America to watch, um, any races in terms of this weekend, it's stay up really late till 1am, but to, you know, wake up really early to watch practice. I'm not necessarily inclined to do that. A lot of the times I will, you know, check the results, watch some highlights, and then maybe try to look into uh, the data a little bit more. Um, just to see, you know, what tires people are on and maybe read a report, you know, cause the people that really work hard and analyze these practice sessions, um, I'll take information from them. But for me to actually sit down early in the morning and watch practice, um, I don't do that, um, all the time. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but anyway, I, I don't, I don't dislike it at all, but I did think it was interesting that all this talk about, you know, getting rid of Friday practice or at least getting rid of one session, and then we go into FB1 and we have one of the wildest uh, practice sessions in a while, probably since Latifi led the session in Hungary. I think that was FB2. It was a bit rainy. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that, but that was insane. Just uh, a 1-3 for Williams in practice. Um, but the reason why FB1 was just absolutely insane, and honestly, all the practice sessions in Australia were kind of crazy um, with FB2 um, seeing some rain. This is kind of the first rain we've got in 2023. Well, not kind of, it is. Uh, but FB1, we run into GPS issues. And for those who don't know, the GPS on the pit wall is extremely important because, you know, in, in a Formula 1 practice, it's the same in qualifying. Some cars are just kind of, you know, uh, cruising around, going at a slow pace while they're not really like on a fast lap. And then some cars are, you know, on a race simulation. Some cars are doing a qualifying test. Um, so they're all going different types of speeds and the engineers are always in their driver's ears saying, you know, Oh, Carlos Sainz is approaching three seconds, two seconds, one second, make sure you're out of the way. Um, and stuff like that. So if the, if the engineers don't have that information to relay to the drivers, you know, things can get a little dangerous. And if these wing mirrors that are a lot smaller than they used to be, um, visibility from the cockpit is not, um, very strong. It becomes actually quite dangerous. So that's kind of what made it wild. We had uh, multiple incidents. Um, well, I shouldn't even say incidents in terms of collisions, but we had uh, 
just cars going into the gravel and a couple spins at Sonoda had a really scary one. It looks like his Alpha Tari could have, you know, barrel rolled if he was just uh, lucky throughout it stayed um, face down. Or is that even the right way to say it? Face down, uh, right side up, I guess I should say. Um, but yeah, t- uh, plenty of near misses as well. Uh, Lewis Hamilton almost went into the back of, I think it was Sonoda. Um, Zhou Guan Yu was yelling about the, the Red Bull and... Uh, Lance Stroll was doing a fast lap and he ran into like a whole ton of traffic. It was wild. Um, for some of you who hadn't watched FP1, just go and watch some highlights and just see what I'm talking about because it was actually kind of sketchy at some points. Um, so we actually get a really exciting Friday practice after we're criticizing, saying nobody would want to watch it. And right now I'm telling you, oh, you've already seen the race and you haven't seen practice? Go back and watch it because practice was wild. Um, so I think that was just kind of a funny coincidence, but anyway, we have so much to go through, um, and I haven't even gotten to qualifying yet, so I say we go straight into the action in Q1, um, it was kind of a cold qualifying, and, uh, that, you know, the temperatures and the tires and, and the lack of degradation altogether really made this interesting, with 20 drivers on the track, basically, you know, never returning to the pits, just because they fueled up, to uh, start a strategy of kind of getting the tires prepped for their fast runs. Some were doing their outlap, which is, you know, just the lap where you come out of the pits, and obviously that's not going to be a timed lap. Um, And then a slow lap and then a fast lap. So that slow lap is just preparing your tires for your actual fast lap run. And others were doing um, their outlap and then their fast lap. You know, that's kind of traditional. Um, but then a little cool down lap and then another fast lap. And they would do that over and over just because their times actually kept improving because they would get their tires working a little better. And that was more important. Um, well, obviously the fuel was also going down, not to mention that. Um, but it was just because the, the lack of tire egg was allowing for it. So I thought that was just kind of what made qualifying a little more interesting as well. And um, just whoever got their tires working was also jumping to the top. Of course, the Red Bull was still up there because they're just so fast. But it did make the order um, a little bit diff- uh, interesting, especially throughout the midfield, which is just ridiculously tight this year, right? Um, but yeah, before we get to the end of Q1, the first person eliminated was not at the end of the session. It was Sergio Perez, a Red Bull in the gravel, I was kind of hoping it was Max Verstappen, although I did have a bet on uh, Verstappen to uh, get pole position and the race victory. So to, to see Sergio Perez out what kind of secured the first half of that uh, bet for me. Um, but a second straight quality where a Red Bull doesn't make it to the end. So that's kind of interesting. I wouldn't expect that to continue. But for now, it's happening. So, yeah, that basically just makes it his turn for the damage limitation. Max Verstappen started from... 15th in in Saudi Arabia now Checo Perez will have to start from 20th and you know I don't think this is getting ahead of myself he actually started from the pit lane taking some uh some new power um unit uh components um in his Red Bull but anyway getting kind of to the end of the action in Q1 here the Alfa Romeo's pace over the past two Grand Prix weekends just makes me wonder how the hell Valtteri even got the P8 in Bahrain Um, he kind of had a nightmare Q1. He joined Perez on the back row and actually ended up joining him in the pit lane as well. Um, and Joe was also just not really inspiring at all. Just, he also goes, uh, out in Q1 going 17th fastest. Um, two guys I was really pulling for in qualifying were both eliminated, um, in Q1, uh, Joe Sargent Piastri. They were all eliminated 
by pretty thin margins, all within a tenth. And yeah, Sergeant and Piastri, of course, were those two guys I was pulling for. Logan went 18th fastest, and uh, the hometown boy, of course, Piastri, just missed out. Um, he even got some traffic on his uh, lap to, um, not lap to the grid, his lap setting up. As I explained, the setup laps were pretty important, getting the tires into the window. And he got some traffic on that lap that maybe could have made the difference because there was not much in it. Um, but for Piastri, of course, Lando Norris made it through. But as for Sargent's teammate, Alex Albon, and this is what hurt Sargent the most, Albon was absolutely flying and qualifying. The Williams was actually consistently acing Sector 2. And by acing, I mean going purple, which is just insane. Like That Williams has, I swear to God, no drag. Um, but the downforce is just seriously lacking. We saw this last year, and it is the same this year. I just think the car is a little bit more balanced and easier to drive, and that's why we're seeing a slightly better Williams. But yeah, Albon was quicker than Leclerc in Q1. That's how fast he was going. Um, but getting into Q2, no major drama really in this session. Uh, the Alpha Tires, who kind of squeaked by in Q1, I would say were clearly the slowest in the session, although Sonoda was kind of frustrated by the Waybridge kind of messing up his quality plan. And I heard that he thought that he maybe could have challenged or at least, you know, moved up a couple spots on the grid. But unfortunately, that wasn't in the cards. So the Alvatares go 14th and 15th. And Lando Norris just didn't quite have the pace in that McLaren to get into Q3 either. So he was eliminated. But I really want to discuss Haas. Um, they also have a pretty low drag, very fast in the speed trap kind of car, at least a setup for this this race. But Nico Hulkenberg, my goodness, he is just destroying Kevin Magnussen in qualifying. Although I thought it was very interesting that in both races, after Nico qualified K-Mag, what it seemed like at least five positions, if not more, in, in all three qualifying sessions so far, Magnussen's actually got the better of Hulkenberg in the race. But Jesus, Nico Hulkenberg in qualifying has been absolutely rapid. Um, and I absolutely love seeing that for him because... I just feel like a lot of people were pulling for Mick Schumacher and, you know, they, they weren't a big fan of someone of Nico Hulkenberg's age and, and relatively lack of success in Formula One, which I always thought was a bit uh, unfair to hold against him because he's just never been in a fast car. But anyway, Hulkenberg is absolutely silencing those, those haters and proving that Haas was right to get him in their car. He really is exactly what they need. They have two very steady, um, you know, reliable sets of hands driving their cars. And uh, I think Haas is set up very nicely. And I'm, I'm honestly a Haas fan. I really want them to do well um, every given weekend. To see them where they were from 2021 and, and to see them now. Um, nice sentence, Brad. Uh, it, it, it's honestly just awesome to see from Haas. So, yeah. But Hulkenberg, what he's doing to K-Mag, just... Just it's an absolute violation at the moment, um, but then again, he there are, are a few other teams, um, kind of seeing the same thing in qualifying. Just three owing their teammate Sonoda, I think is three owing DeVries. Russell is um, up three zero on Hamilton. I guess I'm getting ahead of myself again. God damn it, Brad. Um, anyway, Ocon also missed out on Q three behind Alex Albon, who makes it into Q three. Ocon seven thousandths of a second behind uh Pierre Gasly did get in as well but yeah Ocon complained about traffic on his lap and if he even got a slight bit of traffic that hindered anything seven thousandths yeah the traffic made the difference for sure 
But let's get into Q3. We can talk a little bit more about what's going on up front now. Um, it's a bit of a shorter session in Q3, of course. So even if uh, cars stay out, um, there's not much time to set a bunch of times like we were seeing in Q1. Um, but at the moment, it didn't look like the Red Bull gap was that big. Actually, after the first kind of set of of uh, of times, I should say, Hamilton actually went on to provisional pole. And I was, as a Mercedes fan, going like, what the hell is happening right now? Um, but I think Max, I think he may have lost some time in Sector 3 on that lap because when he got his second chance, he... He set the marker that we were kind of waiting for. Um, I think he put like five tenths on on Hamilton's time, and then when everyone else kind of came around, they they got a little closer. Um, but yeah, Max Verstappen on pole. I think it was three tenths or two and a half tenths to George Russell, who usurped Hamilton, um, who got a little bit blocked by Hulkenberg um, on his setup lap in right in sector three going into the final corner. So it probably would have affected Hamilton slightly, at least in sector one. Um, but yeah, Mercedes, are they not that bad? I mean, that's, uh, what, what Darnell has been saying every time I've spoken with him, he's like the Mercedes, they're just such a bunch of whiners that they're really not that bad. And I guess Fernando Alonso and Carlos Sainz are on his side because, um, they said in, in the post qualifying, not press conference, but in the media pen, um, they were asked about the Mercedes and they're like, Oh, the way they talk, they're acting like they can't even make it into Q3. Meanwhile, they actually have a pretty quick car. Um, so I think, yeah, the Mercedes just aren't that bad, but like I've been saying, it's not that, you know, they're, they're not comparing themselves to Ferrari and to Aston Martin. And that's who, you know, Alonso and Sainz drive for. They're looking at Mercedes like, yeah, they're quick. They're just as quick as us, if not better. And Mercedes just doesn't care about that. They just see the gap to Red Bull and that, yeah, sure, it was two and a half tenths and three tenths. And they're seeing that as, as not that bad this weekend. I don't like Mercedes was pretty happy with their result. It's just they're still really far behind Red Bull. And that's who they're comparing themselves to. The other teams don't matter. So that's kind of why it's been so doom and gloom at Mercedes. But for a team that uh, a team that wasn't doom and gloom was Williams Albon P8. What a qualifying result from him! Um, you know, there's there's four teams that are you know at the top, right? It's Aston Martin, Ferrari, Mercedes, and then Red Bull a mile ahead. Perez was out of qualifying, so that leaves seven drivers of those top four teams. Who is best of the rest? Alex freaking Albon. Just an unbelievable job from him. So, yeah, hats off. I was really looking forward to see what he could do in the race. Um, but also, just before we get into the action of the race, I don't know if you guys saw this too. The picture of uh, the top three of qualifying with uh, Verstappen next to the Mercedes looked so funny. You know, he's not touching them. He's standing there in the middle with his sh- with his shoulders down and, like, not even – he's got he does he's not not smiling, but he's got this, like, weird little look on his face. And then if you look at the picture back from Jetty, he's got, like, his arms around um, Leclerc and Perez. And I just thought the, the image there was hilarious. Um, he's definitely – He's definitely better friends. Well, he's happy to see his teammate up there, of course. And then he's definitely better friends with Leclerc than he is with the Mercedes boys. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not reading into that too much. I just thought it was kind of a funny distinction between the photos. Um, but yeah, holy moly. 
what a race we had, guys. Um, so just bear with me while I go through everything that uh, the Grand Prix in Australia had to offer, okay? So the, fr- the front row, Verstappen, George Russell, followed by Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. Further back, we had uh, Lance Stroll and Carlos Sainz on the third row. And then, of course, Alex Albon. We had Pierre Gasly, Nico Hulkenberg. They're all kind of behind um, those those front three rows. I don't remember the exact order. But at the start, Mercedes is hoping that they can, you know, pull an Australia 2007, as Lewis Hamilton says, and uh, get a good start. And that's exactly what happens. Mercedes, they take the lead. George Russell jumps out into the lead, and Lewis Hamilton even gets in front of Verstappen at the start. So that's not going to make Verstappen too happy. They are, how far did they get before, I guess, turn three? Charles Leclerc gets squeezed. Um, Quite a bit of chaos, actually, in the back. He gets squeezed into turn three. He goes off. He's into the gravel and out. Tough year it's been for Charles Leclerc so far. Um, who I believe, I didn't even mention him, I think he was 7th in qualifying. Just not what you would expect um, from the guy who got a grand slam here last year, and he's out right away. Um, that brings out the safety car. Some people pitch straight away because of you know how durable the hard tire was supposed to be around here. If you think back last year, Alex Albon went the entirety of the race, so they were thinking you know as the fuel goes down, the tire dag on the hard shouldn't be as bad, and they can go the entire race. It's a very aggressive strategy, um, but maybe it pans out. Uh, so the action resumes after that quick little safety car for Leclerc. And the battle up front was actually kind of interesting. Red Bull, um, or Max Verstappen, his Red Bull was not able to just easily blow by the Mercedes. Because of these four DRS zones um, at Albert Park, Mercedes, I'm not sure it was intentional, but Lewis Hamilton was trying to stay on the back of George Russell, probably not only for his own race, but for the fact that he can just keep using that DRS kind of to protect himself against the, you know, flying Red Bull of Max Verstappen. Um, But then, not that long after the first safety car, we get another one. And, guys, it was for Alex Albon. Oh, the pain. I felt so bad for Alex. I was really looking forward to see how many points he could grab uh, at a track that he was just going so well at. And I'm not sure. He he just dropped it. I think it was turn seven. They were calling it kind of an unusual um, crash there. He almost even backed up backed up out onto the track and got hit by, I, I'm not sure who it was, Pierre Gasly maybe or Jogo. I don't remember who it was. But it was almost a little sketchy with him bouncing back onto the track. Luckily, he was able to get out and he was he was fine. But that safety car... I think after we saw some teams pit from the first one so early, the second one was like, okay, a lot of teams took advantage of this one. And even George Russell from the lead, he goes in, pits for hards. We got the Mercedes split strategy to fight against Max Verstappen. Maybe this could get interesting, but wait, nope. Red flag. They red flagged it after uh, George Russell pit from the lead. So, you know, it, it honestly caught like half the grid out. All the people who stayed out um, got that free pit stop and they were able to hold on to their position. So Russell, who is in a prime position to challenge potentially for the win, if not for P2, drops down to P7. Um, so that was tough. And honestly, as a Hamilton fan, of course, Hamilton benefited from not pitting. I just thought if, if Mercedes had any chance of challenging against Red Bull here, 
they needed both cars and to uh, lose that split strategy luxury that they had. Um, honestly, I was just disappointed because at the end of the day, I, I'm a, I am a George Russell fan as well. Um, so yeah, that, that sucked. Um, but at the second race start, I'm saying that because we may have another one later on, let's just say. Um, Hamilton was able to keep the lead out front. Gasly was actually up into P4. He inher- um, inherited that position pretty well because Sainz had pitted. Leclerc was out, of course. Um, the Aston Martins both stayed out, so they were they were lucky to grab those positions back. Um, and I'll say it, also, it didn't take long for Verstappen to uh, make the pretty nice move on the outside before turn on. It was actually the exact same way Perez passed Hamilton last year in the Australian Grand Prix. Um, and Russell was also making some progress. Um, at this point of the race, I would say after the second start, and it, and it kind of stabilized a bit, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Russell trying to make his way back up to the front to fight for the podium that was kind of ripped away from him. And then all of a sudden I see, oh, what the hell? Gasly just passed Russell? Oh, so, oh no. George Russell, he has a Mercedes power unit failure. That hasn't happened very often. It's actually his first with the team. Um, Lewis had only one mechanical failure last year, and it was because, um, like, it was in Abu Dhabi, and it was because he uh, ran off onto that rumble strip. And uh, or is it called the rumble strip? What, that I don't know. It was. It's kind of like an aggressive curb in Abu Dhabi. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, he he was kind of bouncing around, so that probably affected his. Uh, Mercedes last year anyway just we don't see a whole lot of um, Mercedes power unit failures Um, the fact that we've had one from Lance Stroll last race and then George Russell this race maybe is a bit concerning for the Mercedes power unit but anyway that brings up the VSC the VSC doesn't really have an effect on anyone because everyone's basically strapped on the hards at this point besides I think I think it was just DeVries and Sargent they were on the mediums and I'll just say this and get their race out of the way. They were nowhere on those mediums, and they are in the slowest cars, and I think DeVries and Sargent were both behind their teammates this weekend anyway, but being on the wrong strategy certainly did not help them. Let's just say that. They were not in this race really at all. But anyway, once the race kind of stabilized afterward, Verstappen in the lead, it was actually very intriguing behind him. Verstappen really was starting to build a pretty big gap pretty quickly, and then I think was just kind of managing, making sure he got to the end. But then behind him, in this order, Hamilton, Alonso, Sainz, Gasly, Stroll, for a lot of the race were kind of just all managing their tires, but pushing to try and utilize those four DRS zones. And it was kind of like this big mind game that I was honestly quite enjoying Um the gap between Alonso and Hamilton kind of fluctuating between 1.2 to 2 seconds. And Sainz was re- ma- really making headway. He had made a beautiful pass on Gasly to put himself in that P4 position. Stroll was kind of hanging on in the back and in the end kind of fell off. But super impressed by Gasly. What a race he had. He was actually in the DRS um, of Carlos Sainz for a lot of this race. Was just not able to get the position back after it was taken from him. Um, but let's not forget about Checo either. Further back, he was pulling off some fantastic ballsy overtakes um, into the turn, what is it, turn 9, 10 or 10, 11? I forget. The the quick left, right, which is obviously probably the fam- most famous corner um, at Albert Park. He was pulling off some just ridiculous moves through there. Checo was a, a sight to behold this race. Um, but honestly, wasn't really making the, the progress that I thought he could make, or at least the ones the the progress that he needed to to make to challenge for the high points positions 
Um, so yeah, I think he was able to make it up to the to the, once he got past and was in tenth or was in ninth, and he was behind Lando Norris, who was um, yeah in a point scoring position behind Nico Hulkenberg. I thought that he was going to be able to close that five second gap that was there a lot quicker than he did, and he spent a lot of time trying to catch up to the back of the McLaren, which to me not only suggests that. Um, the, the McLaren and the Haas actually do have some legit speed. Um, it was just that maybe Perez was not really going to be in the fight this weekend. I'm not sure. It was obviously tough. He would have been pushing on his tires a lot harder than Max Verstappen to try to make it through the field and make it through um, all the cars before that. But anyway, there was some really, you know, great battles all throughout the, the middle, um, the midfield of the middle of the race. Um, Piastri and Sonoda had a great battle. The McLaren looked pretty draggy and it was hard to uh, make passes even with the four DRS zones, but Piastri eventually did get past Sonoda, who is, um, honestly demonstrating some pretty fantastic, um, defensive maneuvers, um, in the past few races, but eventually Sonoda was, um, kind of starting to get passed by everyone. Joe and Magnuson had a nice scrap, um, but maybe the move of the day, at least one of my favorites was Norris on Hulkenberg. Um, Hulkenberg tried to hang around the outside and almost lost his his race going over the gravel and had a bit of a, a snap that he was able to save. So good on him. But yeah, really, really nice little switchback move from Lando Norris. Um, it was it was quite nice. Um, so Norris, I think, would have moved up to P8 at that point. But anyway, that that whole mind game part of the race that I was talking about Nothing really changed there, and we were approaching the end of the race at this point, and I was glued to the TV thinking something's going to happen, or Alonso's going to catch up to Hamilton, and someone's tires are going to fall off, but it really did just seem like, you know, okay, the order is set, it's all right. Um, At this point, everything was looking good because Verstappen was, well, actually, he did have a bit of a moment in Sector 3 where he lost like two seconds, but he was building it back. I had a bet that he would win by 10 seconds as well. Um, Sergio Perez had the fastest lap at the time. That was uh, another bet that I had. I even had a bet on the Ferrari to be the first to retire. I was, I was really doing well at this point. Of course, I did have a George Russell top six bet as well. And I got robbed of that, but Magnuson hits the wall and just changes everything. Another red flag. I was losing my mind. I was like, oh my God, because when he, when he hit the wall, I thought this, that was going to be the, the end. The safety car is going to come out. It's just going to end under, under safety car. But there's quite a bit of debris. His tire was sitting in the middle of the track. Um, also, just a weird incident where he said he didn't even feel um, himself hit the wall. Um, and he just kind of drifted off, hit the wall, and just completely snapped his suspension. His tire flew off. Yeah, weird incident. But anyway, let's get to the red flag. We will have two racing laps to the end. Oh my God. Have we heard this one before? Have we heard this one before? Baku 2021, uh, Lewis Hamilton break magic. It was it was all going to happen again with Hamilton in P2 and a Red Bull on pole position. I was like, oh my God, though. Let's go Hamilton. Mercedes has had great starts on both the restarts so far. If he can get ahead of Max, he's not going to have DRS for these two laps. Maybe, just maybe, we can get... Hamilton's first win since November 2021 in Saudi Arabia. I was really pulling for it, guys. We get to the start. My heart is just beating, let me tell you. And then chaos ensues. 
Signs was in P4. He takes out Fernando Alonso. P3 and P4 fall back. Perez goes across the grass. Stroll goes through. He's in a podium place. And he locks up into turn three fighting Carlos Sainz. He goes off. Carlos Sainz back into the podium positions. Behind. Gasly cuts across. Takes his teammate out. Gasly. The, the amazing race that he just had. Takes out Esteban Ocon who... Definitely wasn't having an amazing race, but he was up there in the points. Now the Alpines are both out. Sargent, he goes straight into the back of De Vries. I mean, neither of them were really having a great Grand Prix as it was. But then Sargent just needlessly takes him out. It was a pretty bad look for the rookie. Um, and then another red flag comes out. And at the time of the red flag, the order was Verstappen ahead of Hamilton, ahead of Sainz, ahead of Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg was in P4 ahead of Sonoda. Sonoda was in P5. He had a back-to-back P11s. The AlphaTauri in P5 is just ridiculous. That car does not deserve to be up that high. To see him in fifth, honestly, it, it was like Moses in the Red Sea. It just parted for him. He got straight through. It was an absolute beautiful onboard sight. If you want to see that, um, you should check that out as well. You can probably find it on Twitter or you have F1 TV, obviously, just watching on that. Norris and Piastri in P6 and P7, what a difference um, a couple weekends can make, huh? McLaren, pointless on the season, now they're in P6 and P7, and of course, Altari doesn't have a point either, and they were in P5 with Sonoda, and then Joe and Bottas, the Alfa Romeo had absolutely no pace in this race, at least what it seemed like, now they're in for a double points finish, Perez was still in P10, um, with going across the grass, he kind of lost out pretty massively there and then Alonso and Stroll were at least able to keep going they just of course lost out um you know spinning and then going off into the gravel so they were still running but in 11th and 12th so we are waiting on this red flag for quite some time and no one really knows what's going to happen we just know that there's a few options either the race is over or we, you know, go out, we pretend that lap never happened, and we restart. Or the order of the, you know, the last um, the last start, because they didn't go through a sector. If you remember back to Silverstone of 2022, Joe had that scary crash. No, they didn't make it through sector, um, sector one. So even though Hamilton had that blinding start, he had to go back to P5 or whatever it was where he was because they weren't able to establish an order. So either do that, and that's the order. And then, you know, because they did a lap to the pit lane, and then they're going to have to do another lap to the starting grid. Those are the two laps. Those, And, you know, that would just end the race in the order from before. So either, you know, it's going to end basically with the order that it is, and there was the off chance of the race actually restarting. Then there was also another wrinkle. So remember that, you know, order that I said. Signs was in P3, Hulkenberg was in P4. And then they start talking about Signs potentially getting a penalty for taking out Alonso. Um, the cold tires didn't look like they helped him too much in this scenario and kind of clipped um, his fellow Spaniard. And we hear of this Signs penalty, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, if they keep this order, Hulkenberg. The basically the most famous part about this man is the fact that he has never scored a podium in 184 race starts. I thought, could this be the day? Honestly, guys, I am a Lewis Hamilton fan. I've stressed that many times on this podcast. I honestly, I think if any result 
I would love to see a Nico Hulkenberg podium even more than Lewis Hamilton's next win, even more than a Lewis Hamilton eighth championship. A Hulkenberg podium would just be absolute scenes. I would be so happy for that man, even if it was in a ridiculous circumstance such as this. It would just be phenomenal. But unfortunately, the original order was reinstated, um, just like it was in Silverstone 2022. So Hulkenberg got sent back. Um, of course, the Alpines and you know other cars that were taken out aren't able to to return onto the grid. So they you know they inherit those positions. So I think Hulkenberg ended up um, P7 in the end. Yeah, P7. But his dream, podium dreams were over, unfortunately. Signs stole the penalty. So the fact that they actually had to go out and do the final lap under the safety car just, you know, for the sake of finishing in the right order, with five seconds of penalties, Signs in P4, he completely loses out. All the cars are bunched up. They're all going to pass within five seconds. And I thought it even created this a little bit of ridiculousness because now Signs is going to try to play these games, you know, go super slow up until the final corner and then just take off to the line and hope that, you know, he doesn't fall outside of the points, but it didn't pan out. He fell all the way back down to 12th outside of the points. Um, but, yeah, it also just took a ridiculous amount of time under red flag conditions, and just, you know, it was like half an hour just for a pointless lap. Um, Carlos Sainz may argue that it wasn't a pointless lap, but anyway, that was basically it. I, I had to honestly, like, in my notes, separate the actual race from what happened after the after the red flag on all that nonsense. Um, and just looking back at the whole race, just because there was just so much to go through there, um, a couple thoughts. Um, actually, you know what? I'm gonna save that for later. I'm gonna save that for later, and you'll see why. So let's let's get into the results. We finally get there. Oh, first, sorry. First, I just want to quickly mention: Has anyone seen? the videos of the fans on the track afterwards as the cars are going around. What was Albert Park security doing? Like, the race was over, but the cars are still going around back to the pits and people are already broken out onto the track. It was it was crazy, and TV was not showing that, but it is all over Twitter. There was also a little bit of nonsense about um, that Max Verstappen wasn't properly in his grid box at the end and that he was going to get a penalty and Lewis Hamilton was going to get the win. That was just a bunch of crap. Um, but anyway, the fans on the track afterwards, like, come on, Albert Park. That is that is not a look. Cars are still going by pretty fast, even when it's like 30% speed and could absolutely kill someone. So, yeah, like even, you know, Hulkenberg broke down. Like, what if he was just driving and something on his on his, you know, his brakes failed or something, a brake by wire failure. He locks up and goes straight off into a group of people. Like that type of thing can happen. Um, so that was just absolutely shocking. And you can find those videos on Twitter for sure. You don't, you will not have to look hard. Um, but anyway, finally, we get to the results. Max Verstappen in P1 ahead of Lewis Hamilton, P3, Fernando Alonso, his third consecutive podium, all P3 finishes too, by the way. It's also the first time Red Bull has won the first three races of the season ever in their history. So that was kind of interesting. Signs did cross the line in P4, but of course lost out hugely to that penalty, setting him back to P12. Lance Stroll inherited his best finish of the season in P4. P5 was Checo from the pit lane. Um, he was a big winner from uh, that original order being reinstated, but still a solid drive from him. He also picked up the fastest lap point. So yay for money for me. 
P6, Lando Norris, great drive from him, and McLaren are on the board. See, all is not lost. P7 was Hulkenberg. Of course, he didn't get the podium. Still a good finish from him. Um, uh, what am I saying? My notes are uh, a little little wacky here. But uh, anyway, uh, sorry. Uh, P8 was Oscar Piastri. The hometown boy gets his first points in F1, so very happy for him. P9 went to Zhou Guanyu. Um, despite an uninspiring pace shown from the Alfa Romeo, the Chinese driver still gets his first points of the season. So good job, Zhou. Um, and P10 was Yuki Sonoda. He was really that close to another P11. If Sainz hadn't had that penalty, it was a third straight P11 for him. So I'm glad he did grab that one point for Alfa Tari. So, taking a look at the driver standings, the top 10, Max Verstappen six, sits at 69 points. Uh, Sergio Perez, 54 points behind him. So, 15-point gap now between the Red Bull teammates. Um, that's going to be a tough gap for Sergio Perez to close. He's going to have to hope for some um, fortunate circumstances, I think, to uh, get back into that title fight. Fernando Alonso, he sits only 9 points back of Perez, which is pretty crazy, so... Great job from him. Lewis Hamilton, 38 points. He's not that far back off of Fernando either. So things get a little tasty in that little battle for uh, best of the rest after the Red Bulls. Carlos Sainz and Lance Stroll, they are sitting even um, at 20 points. Carlos Sainz is technically in P5 ahead of him just based off of having a better result. Um, or on count back, I should say. George Russell, he is in 7th with 18 points. Missing out on points in this Grand Prix, of course, hurts him massively. And guess who's in eighth, guys? It's Lando Norris. Lando Norris with eight points is P8 in the driver's standings. And then Charles Leclerc and Nico Hulkenberg are tied. Um, actually, if Leclerc has two DNFs, Hulkenberg should be ahead of Leclerc because Leclerc's two other results on countback are the worst possible results you can have. So Hulkenberg would technically be in P9 and Charles Leclerc is in P10. Oh, wow. Just the difference um, one year makes. Leclerc was at, what, 70-something points at this point last year? And now he's at six. That is just shocking. I think I actually have it here. If you just bear with me for one moment, I think I have how many points Leclerc was on. Leclerc had 71 points and Verstappen had 25 after yeah, after what happened in Australia last year. And now after Australia, Leclerc has six. 71 points versus six. That is insane. Anyway, looking at the constructors, Red Bull extends their place on top with 123 points. Um, they are quite a bit ahead of Aston Martin, who are at 65 and P2. Mercedes right behind them with 56. And they already have a 30-point gap to Ferrari, who only has 26 points. That is a pretty shocking, you know, that's that's a win with fastest lap. That That's all it takes to get 26 points. You know, that is shocking that that's all Ferrari has been, have been able to muster so far this year. Um, P5, you'll never guess it. It's McLaren. McLaren, 12 points on the season. Already puts them up to P5 in the constructors. There are only 14 points behind Ferrari. That is crazy. I told you, all is not lost for McLaren. They are even ahead of Alpine, who would have had a pretty solid weekend. Gasly should have been about P5 in this race, but their team comes up with nothing. They still are in P6, though, with eight points. One point ahead of Haas, who gets six points from Hulkenberg this weekend, and the one point from Kevin Magnussen and Jetta to give them seven. Two points from Guan Yu Zhou add on to 
Valtteri Bottas is P8 in Bahrain, so they have six points. They are in P8, and then AlphaTauri is technically ahead of uh, Williams in P9, but yes, they are tied on one point apiece. So yeah, that was a long one. Um, let's get into my prize demise and surprise now. Wow, what a review, I have to say. Um, but my prize, who to pick? Uh, we had drivers with great performances who got kind of shafted in the end. We had some drivers who had okay performances and get very lucky in the end. Um, but I think in the end, um, McLaren has to be the prize, right? They've taken so much flack, and they, they really deserve a pat on the back. Um, they scored their entire season's worth of points this weekend. All they needed was a bit of, well, I wouldn't even know if they got lucky, but... They didn't get unlucky, so I guess everyone else... That's a, almost an exact quote from Lando Norris, too, which is funny. Um, but because they didn't get unlucky almost does you know, mean that they got lucky this weekend just because that was the nature of this ridiculously wild Australian Grand Prix weekend. Um, but like I said, their pace has always been solid. Yes, they're a little draggy, so I think they're easy to overtake, and it's hard um, for them to be overtaking, but their overall pace is pretty solid and you know this big points haul before they get their big upgrade for Baku and hopefully it works I think is just going to be really big for the team and you never know maybe they're able to hold on to p5 that would be quite something although Alpine's pace did look pretty menacing in this Grand Prix so they will definitely have problems with them as the season goes on um so the demise um so many to pick here um as well you know, like Alpine took a massive L. Their own drivers, of course, too, taking themselves out. That is brutal. Um, Russell was on a great strategy to challenge for a win or, or P2 um, and then had just a nightmare strategy. Um, well, not a strategy go wrong, but yeah, kind of. I guess a nightmare in, in multiple ways with the retirement and uh, the red flag. Checo had a pretty horrible weekend. He was able to get back to P5 with the fastest lap, which isn't terrible. So... I'm going with Williams, and yeah, I think some people would probably dispute that one and say that Alpine probably had the biggest L of a weekend, or even someone like just Logan Sargent altogether, but I figured I'd go with Williams just because I think not only did their car have pace for points, um, just Sargent really did have a shocker of a weekend, and Albon um, made that mistake, and they need every point they can get. Like, if Albon is able to, to hold on and, and grab, like, a P7 finish in this race, and with all the chaos in the end, who knows where he could have been um, in the end. They just missed out on a huge opportunity for a big haul of points like we just saw with McLaren, and they ended up with absolutely nothing. So that is just a really big L for a team that needs to seize every opportunity they have. So I'm going for um, Williams in the demise. You know, they're in P10, and they, I think they've had a great start to the season. Meanwhile, they still find themselves in the basement of F1. Now the surprise, and this is why I didn't go into all of this. I'm going with the FIA. They have received some flack for this race for sure. Um, and amidst all that ridiculousness, though, I think they did a pretty solid job. Maybe I'm the minority here. Um, so let's let's take each kind of decision one by one here. So the first safety car for Leclerc, you can't you can't complain. I think the safety car was the right call. Second safety car for Albon. Now, I don't love when 
um, you know, a safety car is called and then it gives, you know, these drivers like Russell and some other ones to a pit and then they make it a red flag. It happened in uh, Saudi Arabia 2021, both the Mercedes, they double stacked, Verstappen stayed out and then they red flagged the race and Verstappen inherited the lead. Um, yeah, I, I'm a salty Mercedes fan. Of course, I remember these things. But anyway, I I really thought that this one, people people might you know make that argument that I just made, but at the end of the day, they are not worried about the driver's strategies when they make these calls. They are like, okay, safety car, we have something to address on the track, but safety is the number one priority. They will find out afterwards, okay, the barriers need repair, now we need to red flag it. That's You can't blame the FAA for that. At the end of the day, the safety of the drivers is what they're trying to take care of. So you can't really complain about that. But then the the decision for the final red flag, we'll skip all the way to that. There's also quite a few incidents in this race and the FAA, is, uh, the FAA was just throwing out um, no further actions like it was no tomorrow, um, which I didn't hate. They were letting the drivers race like uh, the incident with Lewis and Max at the beginning, like a penalty for that would have been harsh. Um, Piastri and Sonoda touched at one point. It was unnecessary to give a penalty there. So I'm glad they didn't, you know, go crazy with it there. I liked that. But then the final decision for the red flag, I like it. I think everyone would prefer, um, even though, you know, Verstappen deserved to win and he was very unlucky to lose that big gap he had. Everyone would rather see the race end under green flag than it, uh, than it end under the safety car. You can't blame the FIA for all the nonsense that happened after, you know, the restart. You know, Verstappen actually was someone who argued we didn't need that final red flag. Of course, you know, the position that he was in, he he wouldn't have wanted that red flag for sure. But he was like, oh, we could have, you know, avoided all this nonsense. But you can't blame the FIA for that. It was the drivers, you know, we had, who was it? We had signs take out Alonso. We had Sergeant drive like a maniac. We had Gasly not looking his wing mirrors. We had Stroll lock up and go into the gravel. Like all these drivers, it, it was their fault. It was not the FIA's fault. So you can't blame them for that. The only thing that I wasn't a huge fan of, but at the end of the day, they still applied the right ruling was the science penalty. You know, the race wasn't technically over. So they can't apply, you know, like a grid penalty, which I think would have been more fair if they just allowed signs to, you know, at least, but they can't even do that. They can't, they can't take away places because that's just not a thing in the rule book. I think the most fair thing would have been to like give him a five place grid penalty for next race. But even then, like it's just, that's not really in the rule book. So they have to give him the five second penalty. It was just unfortunate that we had no running, but at the end of the day, the, the, the rule that they made there with the second red flag after, you know, the third restart, the red flag after all the chaos was again, the right call. So yes, there were some unfortunate things and it was a very, very tricky race to, to steward and to direct, but they made everything, you know, they, they made the right call everywhere. And I think, um, you know, the FIA is always, always criticized so heavily. So I think, um, it would be hypocritical or I don't know if that's the right word, but they, they deserve the props when, um, they actually do do a good job. So 
good job FIA. Um, maybe they just felt that they needed to be on their best behavior with Michael Massey in attendance. <laughs> I had to mention it, okay? Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the the storylines um, for the early season. Uh, this is the last time I'm going to do this segment before we take the big break. And I'm not even adding any more new ones. I'm just lo- looking back on the early season storylines that I've talked about in previous races and just seeing um, whether or not anything has changed. And I'm going to say right now, maybe I'm wasting my time with this segment because I'm not changing anything. Aston Martin will beat Mercedes. That was a early season storyline from the very first race. And I said, it's an overreaction. Guys, Aston Martin is not guaranteed to beat Mercedes. It is a long season. They look better right now, but let's wait. And Mercedes is right in that fight. And this could go down to the wire, but it is definitely not a foregone conclusion. So I'm definitely not changing that. The Flor- the Ferrari reliability one is also one from the start. And I said it has traction. And I don't think I can really change that after one race. They're still, you know, down on their allocation compared to the rest of the field. And they're going to take more grid penalties than anyone. Um, so it's hard to say. Um, I can't really change that or... Um, even confidently say that, you know, they definitely have a reliability problem either. It's just too early. So I think the fact that they're still, um, like Leclerc has already taken a grid penalty, I'm just not going to change it. Red Bull will dominate. That has traction. And I think we can all agree. Um, they are even being accused of, of sandbagging during the races. They all think uh, Verstappen was even holding back his true pace. The only thing that I find a little bit interesting. If they're saying Verstappen was, you know, hiding his true pace, why couldn't Perez make an easier, you know, impression on the rest of the field, right? That's the only thing that I don't really understand the argument of of the Red Bull sandbagging, but either way, they have a huge gap to the field still and it is just a it's it's going to be a massive undertaking for any of the teams to to close that gap still. So, I'm not changing that. Red Bull will dominate this season. McLaren has lost this race. I, I, they're the prize. How can I say that they're lost? Of course, that was an overreaction. Um, McLaren legitimately could finish P5 in this Constructors' Championship, and we could all forget about how nightmare-ish their um, beginning of the season was. Sergio Perez can battle Max Verstappen this season. That is still an overreaction because we've already seen it. Perez is already 15 points behind and made a crucial error in qualifying. He blamed it on something wrong with his car. We'll see. Um, The only way Perez is going to be able to battle Max Verstappen is if Max Verstappen gets unlucky with reliability. It really is the only way. Verstappen is an absolute animal, and I just think every single season we see, you know, Checo make a key mistake, um, and he will probably inevitably go into a bit of a slump as well where Verstappen just looks like he is on a whole nother level from his teammates. So the last one is there is no midfield. And guys, this this is just proving itself within every single race. It is insanely tight and I absolutely love it. Even, you know, the midfield to the, you know, second, third, and fourth quickest teams, you know, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Aston Martin are not that far ahead from the midfield. So even like a, a guy like Gasly can challenge in that group um, when he has the opportunity. And I absolutely love that. I think it's great racing going on behind the Red Bulls. Um, So absolutely, there is no midfield at the moment that has traction. Now, um, that is the end of that segment. 
but um, I'm going to quickly talk about my grid rival team um, from now on. And because that was such a quick segment, we're not even going to technically do the uh, the pit stop segue. We're just going to go straight into who my team was. If you if you don't play F1 Fantasy or um, you know grid rival, grid rival is is very similar to F1 Fantasy. It's basically you get a salary to pick a, a certain amount of drivers in a team. Uh, grid rival is a little bit different with the contracts, and they might score a little bit differently as well. But anyway, I have a league in that, and if you're interested in joining the league, you can check out my link tree and contact me through the many options provided there. I'm going to see if there's even a way that I can include my grid rival on the link tree. I'm going to work on that soon as well. But anyway, if you want to join, you can absolutely just contact me, whether it's a DM on Twitter, Instagram, or just an email. Um, and you can join at any time in this league. You don't have to be there from the start. So it would be fun to have some more people in the league. I think there are six of us at the moment. But anyway... Perez was in my team. He is a little bit cheaper than Max Verstappen. He wasn't as good as I hoped, but still a solid weekend. Um, his qualifying was terrible, but because of all the overtakes he made in this race, he still scored pretty decently. Um, Alonso, thank God he got his position back at the end there, because if he did fall to uh, to off the podium, he would not have been a, a great pick in this race, but he ended up getting that podium, so he was still a good one. I had Oscar Piastri. For his price, it was a great pick. I also um, benefited from taking McLaren that... Um, pick for my team was a huge w because they were one of the cheapest options k mag um he cost me because he didn't finish the race and when you don't finish the race the drivers um their points take a big hit but stroll was the final driver on my team and i had him as my talent driver that one paid off huge he was definitely lucky in the end to uh to inherit that p4 but at the end of the day it was still a it was a huge payoff for me talent driver is just a double points and it can't be for a driver who's worth over 18 million dollars so it's always kind of like lower midfield type drivers like alonso was too expensive but stroll i don't know strolling and aston martin to me was still like he was cheaper than um lando norris which is kind of strange to me but anyway he was a huge payoff as my talent driver i'm still in first place in the break buys league but if you want to challenge me yeah, like I said, join the league. Um, and yeah, before I wrap up here, I'll just quickly say we have this huge break, guys, because the next race was supposed to be in China, but unfortunately that was canceled um, a while back. I was really looking forward to that and seeing Joe Guan Yu, um, you know, him having a home race. I, I'm a fan of Joe. Do I think he's, you know, super rapid? No, I think he's an okay driver, but he seems like a really nice guy. And I, I would have loved to see him get a home race because he deserves one. And I'm a fan of the Chinese, um, the Shanghai international circuit. I really like that, that track. So it's unfortunate that we're not racing in China, but it is what it is. Now it just sucks that we have this huge break until back you. But anyway, that will do it for episode 48 of break bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I will be back with episode 49, either next week or the week after I apologize about the flood, but Either way, it won't be a preview episode for Baku because of this huge break we have. It will be a fun episode. I'm not going to say exactly what we're doing yet. I'm keeping it a surprise, but just make sure you tune in. Goodbye. <laughs>